0: In a preaching mentorship, a less experienced preacher is yoked together with a more experienced preacher. And in this relationship, the student observes, practices, and repeats the things that he sees and hears and learns from his teacher. So here are three words that Describe mentorship. They are training, modeling, and commissioning.
1: Hi, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 237. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. The voice that you just heard is that of our featured guest on the podcast this week. It's Pastor John Huang. Now, John was one of the main session speakers. At our last in person training event, which took place in Costa Mesa, California, earlier in 2022. This is a recording of his session on preaching mentorships. You're going to hear him speak very practically and autobiographically about a mentor who has and continues to mean a lot to him. And then he encourages us to either seek out an older, wiser mentor or to be an older, wiser mentor to a younger and less experienced up-and-coming preacher. It's very core to who we are at the Expositors Collective. We want to collectively grow as Bible teachers and preachers, and John gives us a very good and clear model. Afterwards, I've included the panel discussion, which followed immediately after John's message. On the panel, we have Brian Broderson, Nick Cady, obviously John Wong, and then we had the surprise guest of Dr. Ed Stetzer, who happened to be in town and popped in for part of the day. And so you're going to get some of his missiological insight and knowledge as well. I know what you're thinking. Man, I wish I could attend an in-person training event so that I could hear such concise and encouraging teaching from the front, and that I might even have a surprise celebrity guest encounter. Well, my friends, October 14th and 15th is coming up sooner than you think. We currently have our early bird registration open for a limited time on our website, expositorscollective.com, and you are invited to come join us in Boise, Idaho for our next in-person training event. We're gonna have concise, thoughtful teaching from the front. We're gonna have interactive panels like the one you're just gonna hear. But most of all, what can't be recorded in a podcast, what can't be replicated in an isolated environment is the collaborative learning environment. Uh, You're going to be assigned to a, a mentor or a coach who's going to guide you and a small group of other participants along the journey of discussing the topics together and then even practically taking steps to help you grow in your personal study and public proclamation of god's word so october 14th and 15th boise idaho if you live nearby or if you can if you're able to travel make sure that you prioritize this for you for your team consider sponsoring somebody we want to see the next generation of preachers and teachers grow and their Christ-centered, expository teaching and preaching because everybody wins if this happens. All right, enough of my preaching. <laughs> Here is John Wong talking about preaching mentorships.
0: The assignment that I have today is preaching mentorship. And I wanna start with a very familiar passage it was a statement that Paul the Apostle made to his young protégé by the name of Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul, charging Timothy, said, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. Who will be able to teach others also? In the summer of 1986, I stepped into the high school ministry of Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa for the first time on Sunday morning. And that day, I met someone who would remain in my life for the rest of my life, a guy by the name of Richard Semino. And some of you might be thinking, who? Exactly. You see, I, had, I was a new high school freshman, and Richard was the high school pastor, and in time, our acquaintance turned into a friendship, and this friendship matured into a relationship between a spiritual father and a son. Now, during my high school years, Richard was my pastor, and he was my mentor in matters of living and serving in the way of Jesus. And when I was 14 years old, God began to open up doors for me to teach the Bible at school and youth group events. And at age 15, Richard, he affirmed my teaching gift and he invited me to start meeting with him and a group of young men that he was discipling during the week. And so we met in his office. We met at Bill's Burgers. We met at the dining room table in his small apartment. And from my freshman through my senior years of high school, I spent as much time with Richard as I possibly could. And he would invite me to join him at Carl's Jr. as he worked on his sermon notes, and, and he would write his notes on a yellow paper tab and sometimes on napkins, depending upon how much time he had. And I would read a book, and I would watch, and I would learn. And every Sunday, Richard and I would walk together to get a podium from the back of the main sanctuary for the high school room. Then we went on this traditional walk to Circle K so he can get his soda that he would have on hand when he preached. And, you know, these moments provided opportunities for us to talk and for me to learn. He would invite me to go with him when he would be a guest speaker at a church or an event. He would give me a copy of his sermon notes beforehand, and I would be there in the front row, in the crowd. And I remember I'd be there listening and learning from him. I remember he would walk me through the church bookstore and in his office library, and he introduced me to pastors and preachers such as Matthew Henry and Charles Spurgeon and J.C. Ryle and Charles Bridges, G. Campbell Morgan, and, of course, the doctor, David Martin Lloyd-Jones. You see, during this time, I learned about the people who influenced him. And these same people would shape me as a pastor and a preacher. I remember Richard taught me how to study the Bible inductively at a high school summer camp. And he walked me through the principles of biblical interpretation, which I discovered later is called hermeneutics. He discussed the Bible and theology, and ministry, and provided opportunities for me to serve in the high school ministry. And the one thing I remember most about Richard, he corrected me when I needed correction, and he encouraged me when I needed encouragement. And besides all this, I got to travel with him on local and international missions trips, and I watched him speak God's truth as a pastor and a preacher, as an evangelist, as an expositor. And I started to reflect him in my hermeneutics and in my homiletics in my preparation and my presentation. And in time, his style, his cadence absorbed into my own style and cadence. Now, listen, we are two completely different men with our own personalities. But you know what? I resemble him in so many ways like a son resembles his dad. Now, it's been 32 years since I graduated from high school. And since then, the Seminos moved up to Northern California, and Richard served as the lead pastor of Calvary Chapel Grass Valley and the founding pastor of Metro Calvary. In my journeys, I served as a missionary in Europe and South America. I served as an assisting pastor in three different churches, and I planted and pastored four churches, and I currently serve here as a teaching pastor at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And Richard's influence is still a part of my life. Today, he's 70 years old, and I'm 50. And even though he considers me a brother, a peer, and a partner in ministry, you know what? I still view him as my mentor and spiritual dad. The things that he passed on to me, I aim to pass on to others. And the way that God used him in my life is reflected in the way that God uses me in the lives of this next generation of young adults who want to live and serve in the way of Jesus. Case in point. I see in the audience today two young men I had the privilege of mentoring. I see Corey Gaviria, and I see a Joshua Ertzik. You see, today Joshua is serving as the high school pastor, and Corey, the young adults pastor here at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. And I got to tell you, I am so overjoyed to serve alongside of them and to see them teaching the Bible and mentoring a new generation of young people in the way of Jesus. I sought to pour into them the same way Richard poured into me, and Richard's legacy continues through them and me, and Corey and Joshua's legacy is going to continue through those that they're spiritually pouring into today. Listen, we all need mentors in our lives, and we all need to mentor others to live and serve in the way of Jesus, right? And so that's what this is about, preaching mentorship. Now, when we use a word like mentorship, we are talking about discipleship. Mentorship is apprenticeship. Now, listen, mentorship does not happen in self-isolation. It happens in a community of two or more. When we are talking about mentorship, it is relational. We see this in the method of Jesus with his disciples, right? You know, Mark, in his gospel, in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he wrote, and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. And check out reason number one for why he did this, so that they might be with him. Guys, this is the relationship between a Jewish rabbi with his Talmudim, his disciples, his students. You see, the Talmudim, they learned from their rabbi by living with their rabbi. The Talmudim, number one, they observed their rabbi. Number two, they relayed the teachings of their rabbi. And number three, they mimicked the lifestyle and the methods of their rabbi. And then these same Talmudim they would be sent out by their rabbi to go and make more talmudim in the way of the teachings of their rabbi. And this was the method Jesus used to train and equip his disciples. In fact, Jesus used the image of being yoked together with him to speak of this relationship, right? You see, farmers would yoke a seasoned ox with an inexperienced one to teach the younger how to pull the plow the right way in the right direction. And so pulling from this common farming knowledge in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus invited people to take his yoke upon them and to learn from him. Now, in the same way, In a preaching mentorship, a less experienced preacher is yoked together with a more experienced preacher. And in this relationship, the student observes, practices, and repeats the things that he sees and hears and learns from his teacher. So here are three words that Describe mentorship. They are training, modeling, and commissioning. There's training. Remember, I said this is all relational, and in training, we see the relationship between a coach and his trainee. So, like a coach, one of the primary tasks of a preaching mentor is to make sure that his trainees know what is and how to apply the fundamentals of biblical Christ-centered preaching. And this includes observation. This includes evaluation. So, you might ask the question, does your trainee see and understand the gospel message in the storyline of the Bible when he reads it? Does your trainee know how to identify the differences between historical and poetic genres, between a narrative and apocalyptic language, between local and universal commands, between laws for Old Testament Israel and instructions for the New Testament church? Does your trainee know how to reach sound interpretation before drawing out applications from the scripture text? Does your trainee know how to interpret scripture from its immediate and broad context? There's observation, there's evaluation. This is how preaching mentors are helpful. And also like a coach, a preaching mentor will also teach. He'll teach his trainee specific skills that equip them to excel as Jesus followers who live and preach in the way of Jesus. And so some things that a preaching mentor will teach his trainees is how to depend on God's spirit. Pastor Brian did that for us this morning, didn't he? How to pray in preparation and how to pray in preaching. Another thing a preaching mentor will teach is the necessity of seeing and knowing God's heart for God's people in God's word. This is preaching both the logos and the rhema, the logos word that is The God-revealed, recorded words of Scripture and the rhema word. That's what God wants to specifically say to his people through the Scriptures. And then a preaching mentor would also teach them how to communicate God's truth in a clear and applicable way, not just to be heard, but to be understood. Not just to speak, but to preach in a way that God's people will be more conformed into Christ's likeness. And like a coach, a preaching mentor will provide opportunities in different settings and scenarios to practice what their trainees learn. Because theory needs to become experience for all trainees. And under the supervision of a coach, trainees should apply what they have been learning and training for. And guys, preaching mentors need to be intentional about this thinking of right settings and situations that could promote growth in the young preacher. And I'll tell you what, for those that are preaching mentors, this requires faith and a willingness to take risks on young preachers. So like a coach, a preaching mentor will correct when correction is needed and encourage when encouragement is needed. And then there's modeling. And here we see the relationship between a seasoned guide, a skilled craftsman, a reputable leader, and his apprentice. You see, Jesus taught his disciples by example. After he washed his disciples' feet, he said, I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. So being the right kind of person and preacher, our apprentices will have a template to pattern their lives after. And we imitate Christ. As we imitate Christ, listen, our hope is our apprentices will learn and do the same. So invite them. Let them see you pray and prepare for your sermons. Let them listen to you preach. Let them follow along with your sermon notes. Invite them to discuss your sermons with you before and after you preach. But more than that, let them see your love for God. Let them see your humility before God and others. Let them see your dependence on the spirit, your care for God's people, your burden for the lost, your joyful spirit, and let them see you esteem Christ-like character above gifting and skills. And then there's commission. And here we see the relationship between the one who sends and the one who goes. You see, when God tells you to release your Talmud, your disciple, your student, release them let him be the person God has called him to be and let him do what God has commissioned him to do. Let him go to that someplace or that someone that God wants to send him to because the success of discipleship is when we train disciples and then they go and make disciples of others in the way of Jesus. I'll tell you what a privilege and joy to witness people we mentor, Right? living and serving in the way of Jesus in the world. So final thought, may God grant us all healthy mentorships that are shaped in the way of Jesus. We all need mentors and we should all be mentors of others. Amen.
2: Thanks, John. Why don't you stay up here? And uh, so we're going to, break this open a little bit more and do a uh A. Q&A. okay can you guys join us for this uh conversation that'd be great and uh, nick katie why don't you come up all right thanks john for getting us going so i'm sure that many of you uh, that was just an excellent presentation to get us at to tee us up we want to get this get you guys asking some questions what this looks like because uh you, all of you have different situations, and we just we really believe in what John was talking about of developing ourselves as preachers of the gospel, preachers, teachers of the scriptures, and oh, and we also understand now if we're called into the ministry, just that like John was saying that we would be a resource to others. In this area. So let's get some hands up and ask some questions about these things.
1: First question from Philly.
3: Yeah. Uh, Hi, my name is Shane. Uh, My wife and I just recently made a commitment to a non Calvary Chapel church in a Philly suburb, and we're now members. Uh, We're we're in the membership process and uh, elder led, membership based, slightly different philosophically, but certainly. Um, historical, orthodox, evangelical church, similar to Calvary Chapel, some of the same distinctives. Just want to get sort of your thoughts on a potential mentorship opportunity for me at my fellowship, um, though it's not a Calvary Chapel, but I'm certainly a Calvary guy, having gone to the Bible College. Love what the movement is doing. Any immediate thoughts on that? Brian, a Brian question. <coughs> this is Shane, right, Shane? Shane yeah, right. yeah, Shane and I met last night. I think Shane might be the guy who traveled the farthest. He came from Philly. That is amazing. So it's great to see you, Shane. Um, you know, so what we talked, oh, Mike, you didn't.
1: I'm you, literally standing right here.
3: You came from Fallbrook. You did not come from Ireland.
1: via, via Ireland. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
3: You're going back to Ireland on Thursday, but you came from Fallbrook.
1: Uh,
3: so, um, you know, like, like we talked last night, I think that, um, you know, we mentioned Aaron Campbell. Aaron is part of CGN, a leadership team. I think connecting with somebody like that. And so hopefully when I'm in Philly in March, we're going to connect mm-hmm. and, you know, get you to meet Aaron personally and kind of see where things... Go from there, um, you know. Like like John explained, it's a, such a beautiful picture of Richard. Richard is one of my best friends. Uh, I watched that whole thing. Um, I could never do what Richard did uh, with John uh, because that's just not my style of mentoring. Um, I'm more just hey, come and see, you know, come and hang out, and um, you know. But I I so appreciate what John described and having seen what Richard did. Uh, uh, so all I'm saying with that is I think that mentorship will look a little bit differently depending on the person. And I think the key is you you connect with somebody and you, you want to kind of learn from them and pray that the Lord will bring
0: that person along, whoever that might be. That's what I'd say. And I would say that the point of the story that I shared um, is I, I just want to articulate how needed and how powerful mentorship is. You know, I, you know after listening to Dominic share last night and just where millennials are and where Gen Z is, you know, I think that for so long that the church was really comfortable with the ratio of the pulpit and the pew, but one of the things that I'm discovering um, that has been um, such a powerful moment are these times that I will grab young people and, and just go spend time with them. And it's in those everyday conversations that we just get to talk about Jesus, that we get to have those moments where as questions come about, up, up about ministry or theology. But those are relationships that God brings together. And, and sometimes it might happen. In, in, a, in a way that, um, you know, it's organized where one person says, hey, I'd like you to meet so-and-so, and I'd like you to meet so-and-so. But I found that oftentimes God will just connect you with some of the most unexpected relationships because that relationship that I had with Richard, that was so unexpected for me, you know. And And so I think that those opportunities that you get where, you know, like what was Brian was describing with those CGN opportunities, I think that that could actually be a catalyst for those kinds of relationships to be formed. But I think that one thing that every Christian needs to do is, is to have eyes that are wide open. Because sometimes the people that we dismiss are the ones that are potentially the most impactful in our lives. Not just the people that can pour into us, but the people that we can pour into And so we're just going to trust. I mean, if this is God's heart for believers, and I'm just going to trust that God has people in your life for you. Hey, everybody. My
4: name is Dominic. I'm relatively new to the church. Um, I had a question that I read down yesterday, and I, like, rewrote it, like, three times. Um, (laughs) How did you guys know when you guys were ready to preach? Like, is there, like, a moment that you guys had to where you guys just – had this, uh, just knowing of having enough knowledge to lead people. Um, yeah, that's pretty much the question I'm going to, cause I didn't go to Bible college at all. Uh, so I'm just trying to figure out, would that be something that is like required before you have, uh, enough knowledge to preach? What do you guys have to say about that?
3: Let me, let me, let me just say really quick, and then I want Ed to jump in. Um, I, I never went to Bible college, I, John Let's be
4: crystal clear. You didn't graduate from high school.
3: <laughs>
4: that that is true.
3: But you don't want to let that out too much because it could get you, are you a in trouble. It's
4: student that we college. Yeah. <laughs>
2: it's, it's, it's on the live stream. Yeah.
3: yeah. <laughs> um, so John didn't go to college. So I mean, the short answer is no. You don't have
4: to do that. But okay. So Ed, so you tell, you didn't, tell you me you your didn't, name again. Dominic, good, Dominic. Um, So disclosing at the front, I have two master's degree and two doctoral degrees, so I'm overeducated, for sure. Um, So people see you at this stage in life, and they say, he must have always valued that. So, But when I was 21 years of age, I had went to a Christian college that was moving away from being a Christian college. I had taken two courses in religion. I had a degree in biology and chemistry. And Don and I moved to the inner city of Buffalo, New York, to start a church among the urban poor. And I started preaching. I am very thankful that those sermons are not recorded because they didn't have they didn't have recorders back then. Uh, but what I would say is, I think for to say I have to have a certain amount of education before I can begin to preach God's word would really go counter to the New Testament. It would go counter to hundreds of years of Christian history. Uh, I do think it's a good thing for you to, you know, Brian's education primarily was through relationship, mentorship, and his own learning. So I think it's a good thing for you to be, learned, it doesn't always mean that you're going to have a formal education. And there are church planners around the world planning churches who just feel the pressing of the Holy Spirit and uh, and, and, and they, they do their best. I, I would say when it comes to teaching and preaching, I would want you to know two things, right? So this is kind of my standard answer. One, you need to know more than the people to whom you're generally communicating. And number two, you need to make sure you're not teaching error Uh, and, and so, so there is a certain sense now, now, um, you know, I've taught, I've taught error. I would go back and say, man, I didn't really understand that well before I was preaching at Westminster chapel in London, years ago. And I was, I was trying to make a point that God sent Jesus. I'm a missiologist. So God sent Jesus on Christmas. You know, it was right around Christmas. And I said, God made Jesus around Christmas, which is actually a pretty big heresy. Um, and I heard myself say it. And then I spent the next 10 minutes, you know, reciting Chalcedonian creeds and trying to correct my error. I really overcompensated. So, I mean, sometimes you're going to say things that you don't mean. And somebody's going to come along and show you a better way and say, here's a better way to understand this. So what I would say is, um, is ahead of the people you're teaching and leading, not error, and if you can get to that place, I, I would still a robust correspondence Bible correspondence program and reading about preaching could be what I don't know what your situation is. So, so uh, I would not preclude now some denominations. You know, Calvary Chapel is is uh, and Calvary Global Network is is what we call uh, it has a low polity. P, not, I'm mis, not mispronouncing policy, but polity. So Presbyterians have a high polity. So you couldn't be a Presbyterian preacher in the PCA unless you did a college degree and a three-year seminary degree, an MDiv, go through your local presbytery. Um, I would say that they have a stronger guarantee that people aren't going to make mistakes. I would also say that can slow down church planning movements and when Calvary Chapel, you know, in and around its time of being birthed, a lot of people that Pastor Chuck and others just looked to and said, man, you should, you should be preaching. You should go out and do this. So look for people who are going to uh, value. You asked how you respond. I'll say, look for people gonna, who are going to speak and say, this is a God's call in your life. And there wouldn't be a Calvary Chapel. There wouldn't be a Calvary Global Network if people didn't go sent out without some of those training in the early days of Calvary Chapel too.
5: Yeah, I'll just jump in real quick and just say, you know, this has been, as Ed's saying rightly, this has been a big part of our heritage as Calvary Chapel. I know it's my story, as I'm sure it seems for all of us, that um, we didn't start out by going to Bible college. We started out because there was a need and there was an opportunity. And what an honor to be used by God. You know, my pastor, uh, Tom Stipe uh, in Colorado, you know, Tom, he told me that he thinks that the secret sauce, if you will, of Calvary Chapel was yes, the Bible teaching component, but it was also this belief in the work of the Holy Spirit through ordinary people and the empowering of young people. And so that's been part of our heritage but you know avoiding error in this setting, one of the ways that we've traditionally done it is through these mentoring relationships. So this isn't just like a um, add-on or you know tertiary thing, this mentoring piece. it's actually really integral to who we are as a movement and really what we believe about preaching. Yeah, and it was mentioned earlier
2: about the pulpit and the pew. And that's why, you know, if you may go talk to your pastor and you may have gotten this answer, hey, would you mentor me? I want to preach. And they'll be like, well, no, I don't have time. Or don't take it personally. Or I'm already mentoring you. Do you come to church? You know, it's that kind of idea. What we're talking about is something way more organic. Like it's it's just something we want you to... Realize the value of that of just finding somebody that's further along than you, that will help you grow as a Bible teacher. Will will pay attention to you, be a, a Richard in your life, and track you, and allow that you to come into their life so that you can track them. I, that's going to look very different. And after this, we're going to offer. You know, we're always here to help you set up with a mentor through our network, and it would be long distance, but we'll talk about that in a minute. But do we have another question over here? Okay, great.
4: Hi, my name's Wes. Um, I'm a youth pastor, and I get to work with a lot of our youth leaders and students in helping them learn to share the gospel and learn to teach. I'm wondering, where would you guys put the line of instruction versus letting someone find their own voice? It seems like that's an easy one to cross or to hold back on. How do you put that line of what people need to hear to grow versus giving them the space to to figure out how they want to say something? Uh,
3: Yeah, you know, again, I think everybody's going to approach things a little bit differently, you know. Um, I've known guys over the years who are very um, structured, you know, very, in a sense, you know, much more rigid than than I would be. And, you know, so they're going to make sure that, All of this stuff is is really solidly intact before we we move on to the next thing. Um, I would tend to not be so much like that. I would tend to be more um, of a sense. I'm sensing God's hand on somebody's life. I'm recognizing that there's. Um, a love for Scripture. There's there's a God-given ability to to understand and, and grasp Scripture. Maybe you know got some things wrong. Nothing major, but you know, but maybe, you know we all change even our views at times. So I I would tend to um, let people go more more freely or easily than some others might. You think?
0: Yeah, one of the things that I've learned over the years is that usually when you start in preaching ministry, you are going to sound a whole like the person that you're the closest to. And it usually takes time as you mature as an individual, and life is just going to happen, whether it's family stuff, whether it's a tragedy, whether it's all these moments where you're going to discover that you're going to start placing less and less weight on you trying to find your identity in what people think about you. And over time, you start becoming more and more comfortable in your own skin, and you'll find- That's my module, John. Sorry. (laughs) So what Pete's gonna tell you, (laughs) well, so so all that to say, what I did with um, our young guys at our young adults is we made we carved out time where I identified a group of guys that I could see, they had a, They had a heart for Jesus, they loved the scriptures, and they wanted to serve, and so we would just get together. We started with every other week, we'd meet over at a coffee shop, and we would just sit around and we would just talk. Like I would choose a book and we would just read through it, and we just gave everybody an opportunity to talk. And just even in that platform, everybody is speaking with their own voice. And then through that, like we talked theology, we talked homiletics, we did all this stuff, and then I gave these guys opportunities that whenever I was either traveling or I couldn't speak, I would have those guys fill in for me. And one of the things that I communicated to our young adults is I said, man, this is really exciting to see your peers sensing God's call and direction. So you know what? So-and-so this week is going to come and share from the Word. Let's be supportive. I know this person is going to bring us a good word. And as they started having more and more of those kinds of opportunities, then it just turned into where our young adults, I would preach three times a month, and one of those guys would preach every fourth week, right? And so then that rotation started happening. So these guys, the more they did it, the more they were able to start getting more comfortable in their own skin, and that's what's so encouraging. It's like on one hand, we, we look the same, because we look at the text, we we want to draw out what is God's meaning, what is God's heart for people from that passage. But then when they unpack it, when they deliver it, it's through the man. It's and and, and we've had we've had young ladies too that shared, and it's through that woman that as God speaks through them, it's like wow, all the uniquenesses about their personality, God's truth is coming through that, you know? You know, I just
3: Finally, I, I was thinking, as John was saying that, I was just remembering, um, and again, this is more about just sort of, you know, let, letting people kind of launch out, you know, not, not being so um, restrictive, and um, I was just thinking about, I just have this vivid picture in my mind. John's 18 years old. We are in the, the town square of a, of a city in Hungary called Baya, and we've got a team with us, and we're doing evangelism and outreach. And I just said, you know, John, do the morning devotion. And so John, John's 18 years old. He's taking us as the team. He's taking us through First John and the morning devotion. And I just remember him sitting on the stage, you know, his legs dangling. And, then, you know, he's just got his Bible. He's teaching First John. And I'm thinking, you know, this is so good. This is amazing. And, you know, so giving people opportunities is is a key. Some, you know, some people, I think, are too... Um, I don't know, fearful. I I don't know what it is. You know, some people don't want to let people go in into the exploration of their gift. Maybe they're afraid, oh, they're not ready yet. They're not ready. Um, You know, you look at the New Testament and things seem to be happening pretty rapidly in the New Testament. And, you know, Paul comes into town. He's hurt for a few weeks. People get saved and he's like, okay, you do this, you do that, and I got to go. So there, there's a balance in there. But no, uh, Let me
4: throw one thing in, too, because you asked specifically about kind of developing your own voice. And um, as someone who speaks at other people's churches primarily, um, I actually, like, I'll, I'm most, the most frequent church I speak at here in Southern California is Saddleback. So, and, 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 again, Rick, Rick's a friend. But very early on, my preaching sounded a lot like Rick Warren's preaching. I'm 15 years younger, and he was really a, a mentor in communication. I don't really, like when I'm preaching, I I preach less like that now. That's not a criticism, just I develop my own voice. So what I would say is, um, I was the interim teaching pastor at a church called the Moody Church in Chicago. So it's a kind of downtown historic institution. I was there for four years, which is way too long to be an interim, but that's another story. So part of what I do when I come to Saddleback, I do want to reflect. I don't want a jarring difference between me and the normal preaching and teaching of the church. But here's my point. So when I came to Moody Church, That's a little bit more like I'm accustomed to working through books of the Bible. Um, But Erwin Lutzer, my predecessor there, who was there for 37 years, he was an expository preacher in the way that Spurgeon was. He would sort of have a topic and work through a text to kind of illustrate that topic, where they wanted to move in a direction where they wanted to move through books of the Bible. So early on, I had to ask the question, how do I help them? I didn't know it was going to be four years. I was planning on six months. Uh, How do I help them not have great discontinuity with Lutzer But then, you know, I was moving into a books of the Bible kind of approach, which we did over four years. And here's the thing that might be helpful for you. So, when you're a new pastor or a new preacher, it is fine. It is acceptable. It is good. I mean, I don't know if you guys know this, but, you know, as an outsider of Calvary Chapel, you all tend to sound like Chuck Smith for a long time. (laughs) I mean, even the same voice thing. I mean, you can't, I mean, it's like, it's very particular. But then over time, People move away and say, well, I think I, I feel more effective communicating in this way. And that just takes practice. So don't any of you feel bad that you sound a lot like Brian Broderson or whoever your pastor is early on? Because that gives you some continuity with both the people you're preaching to, but also a familiarity where you're not launching out on your own. But as your own, you develop your own style that's, that you, you'll develop your own voice. It'll be Pete's talk. You'll develop your own voice. But don't, don't feel you need to suddenly... I really needed to reflect some of my mentors teaching and preaching before I knew what I was doing. And then later with practice, I could develop more of my own voice. So pace yourself. It's okay to sound like your pastor. Cool. Let's do one more. Question. Hi, um, what would you recommend? What kind of process would you
1: recommend for after you teach a sermon? So both academically, like would you recommend someone listen to themselves or go over that with their team if they have that kind of team? And then more what I'm interested in is also like emotionally. If after you spend a week developing a message that you've been thinking about for many weeks before that, and then Sunday morning comes and it's taught, and then Sunday afternoon comes and you're looking into the void, wh- where do you go? What do you do for that? And does it ever stop?
5: I think Nick should answer that one. Yeah. yeah. So our, um, our take on this is, I remember talking to a friend a couple of years ago and he was talking about how he develops preachers. And here's what he said. Here's, he goes, here's my process. I just tell him, hey, you're preaching at this time, then we do it, we video it, and then I bring him into my office afterwards and we watch the video and I tell him all the things I did wrong. And I thought, oh, that, that kind of hurts for on a couple of ends, right? Like it hurts the people who had to listen to that bad sermon. It hurts the guy that he messed up and he wasn't really told ahead of time, you know, how to succeed. So what we've done is we've developed a process. where We're actually giving that feedback before the sermon's preached. And there's a, a lot of ways to do this. You know, some people, I think uh, Tim mentioned, sending out his notes to a few people. Um, what we do is, of course, you know, we'll go through an outline. So we, we have a group of five, six guys right now. We meet on Tuesday nights, and whoever's preaching that Sunday We'll go through the passage together. They need to present their outline. It doesn't need to be, you know, fully formed, but it needs to be an idea. And we'll go through it. And that has really helped me with some of the guys that have come. They've presented something. I'm saying, okay, you know, this is is actually not going to be faithful to the text. It's not going to be helpful. Let's change this and tweak this. So we're helping them on the front end, which I think helps them also have confidence when they go in to share with the congregation. Other people have looked at this. Um, And they've affirmed that this is faithful teaching. It's well, um, you know, exposited. And then, of course, there's the Holy Spirit aspect that needs to come in the moment. But at least you can know, like I said yesterday, that you preached a good sermon and it's the Holy Spirit who's going to come and make it a great sermon. So that would be my process. All right.
1: Thanks so much to John for sharing part of your life with us, for encouraging us towards this very practical way to help the growth of the kingdom of God by mentoring or submitting to being mentored by others. Uh, Thank you so much to Nick, Brian, and Ed who answered questions at the end. And obviously thanks to you for listening all the way to the end. It's appreciated. You know, I hope that you are subscribed either on YouTube or Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, or whatever you use, because in the next couple of weeks, we've got some great episodes lined up. There is an interview that I just did with Dr. Brian Chapel, and it is so good. I can't wait for you to listen in on that conversation with Brian Chapel. Also in September, we have an interview with uh, Lindsey Carlson coming out, Dave Lomas, and, and more. So make sure that if you're not already subscribed that you do that right now because we have great educational and hopefully soul-stirring and encouraging content coming your way. All right, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Hello everyone, this is Noah Beamer, one of the pastors here at Calvary Boise. Uh, I want to invite you to come out to the next Expositors Collective training event that we are going to be hosting on October 14th and 15th. I got to attend one of these last fall in Colorado Springs and I thought, man, I'd really like to see this happen in Idaho. And now here we are and I get to invite you to it. Um, The training event goes from Friday to Saturday. It's an interactive learning experience with teachings from the front, panel discussions, and lots to take part in with group work and coaching with great concrete tips to help you grow in your understanding and personal study and sharing of God's Word. So Boise, Idaho is absolutely gorgeous in the fall with lots to do and plenty to explore outdoors. So I really hope you can come join us this October for the next Expositors Collective.